Welcome to FedSpeak, Jackson Hole Edition, brought to you by MI Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta, and I'm happy to welcome Dr. Alan Blinder to the podcast. Dr. Blinder is a former vice chair of the Federal Reserve, a former member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, and a professor of economics at Princeton University. He is also one of the foremost historians of the Fed and economic policy, and he has a new book coming out called A Monetary and Fiscal History of the United States, looking at the period from 1961 to 2021. To say it's a comprehensive work would not do it justice. It's a truly in-depth and wide-ranging examination of U.S. economic history in the modern era, so I'm very pleased to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for saying so. I was trying to squeeze whatever I could into 400 pages. Only 440, I would say. 440. (laughs) Thanks again for being here. So let's start with a broad question. As an economic historian, how would you describe the nature and gravity of the inflation problem we are experiencing today? Well, for the United States, but not for many other countries, it's almost unprecedented, not quite unprecedented. Other than World War II, which was suppressed by price controls, you just had the episode of the 70s and early 80s in the kinds of inflation num- in the range of inflation numbers that we have now. Now, if if you were asking about Italy, England, all uh, never mind Argentina, a whole host of other countries, this is not my home country of Brazil. Your, oh well, yes, including your home country of Brazil, this is you know not a, a barely noticeable inflation, but f- by American standards, it's very high. I didn't think I'd be covering an inflationary episode as a Fed reporter who, you know, for most, most of my career, deflation was the primary concern. So. That's right. I wonder what aspects of the current inflation worry you the most, and how are they different or similar to the inflationary period of the 70s? Well, a quick answer, I'll elaborate just a little, is it's the core of inflation, the so-called core inflation, which strips out the food and energy. Not that those, you know, sometimes this is ridiculed like, People actually pay for food and energy, and they do. But the point is, there's nothing that the central bank can do about food prices and energy prices. And they spikes in those things generally go away by themselves. Not in a day, not in a week, but they go away. But the more fundamental uh, uh, problem issue is that if the FOMC decided it wanted to make food prices go down, it wouldn't have the foggiest idea what to do. So it's the core. So, and the core is too high. Okay, so the core inflation rate is running much lower than the headline inflation rate, but it's still way too high. It's more than double the Fed's 2% uh, target. And w- within a subcategory of that, what you, worry, what you worry about is to what extent it's getting into wages, and via that you have secondary effects. It gets into... Uh, it gets into everything, basically. And the lasting, potentially lasting effects, which don't seem to be there yet, on inflationary expectations. Now, turning to the news of the day, Fed Chair Paul just delivered a long-awaited speech, and the remarks were fa- taken fairly hawkishly by the markets, which took quite a dive today. I wonder what you make of his comments, and, and what do they tell you about the direction of policy? What I make of his comments is basically no news at all, nothing he hadn't said before, but an exclamation point at the end of the paragraph. And to your point about markets, 
I think he's feeling the frustration as almost all Fed officials feel at one point in their careers, maybe multiple points in their careers, like, what does it take to drum this into the heads of traders? And I think that's the way I read today's speech. Didn't you hear what I said 24 times before? Since you didn't, I'm going to give you an eight-minute speech and hit it smack on these points. That's a nice way to put it. I actually saw some someone mentioning today that that was, I think, the shortest Jackson Hole speech in the history. Oh, certainly. I think it was the same length as the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> That's a great, great analogy. So what did you make of this morning's PCE data? And you know, more generally, how do you read the jobs and inflation figures that we've gotten since the July meeting? Let's separate the two. The PCE and inflation in general, it's inching down including the core and including the part that's not core. I think we have a lot more inching down of the core, knock on wood, and a lot more contribution to lower inflation coming from energy prices, which have fallen considerably, and hopefully from food prices, which have also fallen. And we're a little bit less sure about what's going to happen to those in the next uh, month or two. So it's pretty good inflation news, but it's the news, the level is still way too high. That's what I meant about inching down. Sure. And what about the labor market? Do you see it as really as tight as the Fed says? I mean, when you look at labor force participation and employment of the population, those things have not quite recovered, you know, to the to their pre-COVID peaks. No, they haven't, but that, I'm going to answer yes to your question, because a major reason for the phenomena you were just alluding to is the failure of labor force participation to get back to its pre-pandemic level. We're about one full percentage point low compared to pre, and that's about a million and a half jobs. And that's, that's, that's what squares the circle. That's how you rationalize the, the two. Do you expect anything from Chair Powell's remarks? Do you think that that's likely to shift the summary of economic projections that we're going to get in September? Will there be more hawkish numbers in that? I, I wouldn't, I, no, I don't have any feeling. I mean, who knows? But I don't have any feeling that that's true. I think what it was meant to shift, and it will shift. In fact, I'm not looking by the minute. It probably already has shifted. The market betting on whether the Fed is going to hit its peak rate this year and already in early 2023 be heading down. I never believed that. I don't think Powell ever believed that. And part of his exclamation point today was to basically shout at the markets, stop believing that, because it's not going to be over that fast. That makes a lot of sense. And do, so do you still see the 3.8% peak rate as a reasonable forecast? Yeah, if anything, I'm, I've been toying with numbers like that myself when people have asked me. Yes, but if, if anything, you probably want to nudge it higher. I don't mean 5.8. I mean just nudge it a little higher. Now let's turn to your book, if we might. So you argue that COVID warranted large responses from both fiscal and monetary policy, but that the two had different targets. How do you mean that? Well, the fiscal response was not 100%, but explicitly focused on uh, people in distress. 
So huge increase in unemployment benefits and coverage, these checks that went out. Now, I had to put a footnote to that. They didn't design them very well, and so they also went to people that didn't need it. Uh, they didn't go to millionaires, thank God, uh, but they went too high up the income distribution, but uh, they were certainly targeted on relieving distress. Relief, I mean, it was, it was an analogy to what the government does when a flood comes or something like that. Um, that's, the Federal Reserve doesn't have any handles like that that it could use, even if it wanted to. And suppose it did want to. Uh, it has relatively blunt, few and blunt instruments, mainly the interest rate. So what does the interest rate do? And it worked. Uh, it stimulates spending on interest-sensitive things, and the two main ones are housing and automobiles. And one of the things that amazed me in the downturn and the immediate upturn from the pandemic was how much effect something, and I think it was the Fed's interest rates, had on those two sectors. And so you think it's too easy to blame the inflation surge we were experiencing on fiscal policy because some of those who predicted, who argue that they predicted the inflation, focused a lot on the stimulus, but they didn't quite foresee the supply chain challenges right. that we'd see. Exactly. You're hitting my pet peeve. The few people that were, quote, right about inflation were right for the wrong reason. I think overstimulus of the economy, fiscal and monetary together, played some role. But from what we know about the sensitivity of inflation to, you know, call it what you want, GDP gaps, the unemployment rate, whatever, uh, it wouldn't be a lot. It wouldn't be a lot. So they got the direction right, but exaggerated the magnitude. But they're getting tremendous credit for a food shock and an energy shock, both of which em emanated, at least in part, and maybe in large part, from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the other part that made uh, Team Transitory miss, and by the way, I was a member of Team Transitory and I've done many mea culpas, uh, it was the slowness of market capitalism to fix these supply chain problems. So I've often characterized this as a way overestimate of the value of the efficiency of market capitalism. I was guilty of I was guilty of that. I thought they'd do it faster than they have. That's really interesting. So one last question on, you know, which really speaks to the institutional memory that you bring to the book. So you make clear that central bank independence, as much as we see it as a, a tenet of modern central banking, was not always the accepted norm. No. And I wonder do you if you think that the Fed's the hit to the Fed's credibility from the current inflation surge could threaten the Fed's independence once again? It's possible, but I doubt it, and I don't see any signs of that. The signs you would see would be probably first fringe members of Congress and then maybe more members of Congress griping at the Fed for a job badly done. You're not seeing very much of that. You know, the Republicans are just completely tied up with griping about Biden, whatever he does. Uh, and Biden has followed the uh, policy that Bill Clinton initiated many years ago of don't comment on the Fed, let the Fed do its job. Well, 
Thank you so much for your time. That was Dr. Alan Blinder of Princeton University. I really appreciate it. You are most welcome. Glad to do it.